Hey guys, this is Pete. Before we start the show, I just wanted to give a quick shameless plug for my debut novel entitled Frankenstein, A Life Beyond. It's the first direct sequel to Mary Shelley's classic and follows Ernest Frankenstein, the sole survivor of the original book. Like mystery, adventure, romance, horror, and this is the ebook for you. Check it out today on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and my website, EnceladusLiterary.com. That's E-N-C-E-L-A-D-U-S-Literary.com. Thanks. Now on with the show. Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. <laughs> we give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. Cal? That's my name. Cal L. It is. Why am I so different from them? With your host, Pete. I will honor the man you once were, Zod. Not this monster you've become. And Greg. I was bred to be a warrior, Cal. Trained my entire life to master my senses. Where did you train? On a farm? And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. The people of Earth are different from us, it's true. Ultimately, I believe that's a good thing. They won't necessarily make the same mistakes we did. Not if you guide them, Cal. Not if you give them hope. That's what this symbol means. The symbol of the House of El means hope. Embodied within that hope is the fundamental belief in the potential of every person to be a force for good. That's what you can bring. And here we are with Man of Steel, the latest Superman film directed by Zack Snyder, starring Henry Cavill as Superman, Amy Adams as Lois Lane, Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White, and others. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, so that would be Guy from the Tudors as Superman, Girl from Muppets as Lois Lane. <laughs> Morpheus is Perry White. <laughs> Alternate Lex Luthor is Kryptonian henchman number two. And alternate Dr. Hamilton is military henchman number four. <laughs> <laughs> As we get all incestuous with the Smallville universe here. We are here to do a hindsight on Man of Steel. We did one, well, not really hindsight, but we did a Dark Knight Rises, so we figured... Why not hit the next DC comic book character that uh, came out? There's a lot of people who are split over this movie. Yeah, it does seem to be a divisive one. And the Rotten Tomatoes score shows that straight up and down, almost split 50-50. It's at 56%. So you've got people... Oh, it's falling that far. People love it or people hate it. <laughs> and I don't know if there's an in-between... <laughs> And I've just seen it recently again for the second time, so seeing it a second time opens up some more questions, but answers some other ones that might have come up after seeing it for the first time, then hearing other people talk about it and going, really? Was that that bad or or that good? But it was an interesting experience to retread over it a second time. With some of these questions being in, in hand, some of these logic holes being out there, and really trying to invest to see what David Goyer, Chris Nolan, Zack Snyder were trying to do. And before we even get into everything, my first instinct is to say, this is wholeheartedly a first movie and a series planned. This was not like um, Nolan's you know, like the Dark Knight or anything, where he said, we're going to put it all on screen, all at once, everything we can. Now, this was a beginning. This was Superman Begins. They should have just called it that. <laughs> said, we've got a we've got a mold, we've got a a, a style that we, we created. Why not just 
do it for every character. The Flash begins. Aquaman begins. <laughs> Wonder Woman begins. Because this is basically Batman begins for Superman. Well, you know, you can have a nice little package sometime down the road. You can have the DC Begins box set. Exactly. And that's what happened here. This was definitely uh, a an aping of the Batman Begins model. Darker Superman. Not just darker, just the mode of how it was done with the flashback sequence and the out of order and the mopey hero wandering the wilderness meeting different Sherpas who <laughs> teach him how to be the hero and eventually going home and having to save home. Exactly, and having a I don't know. Anyway. Wait, was... did they just remake the Batman Begins? Is that what we just said? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but we saw it. We both had our own uh, our own thoughts about it when we got out. It was it was pretty earnest in what it tried to do, and it maybe misfired on a couple of things. A couple of times, maybe it wasn't aimed right. Uh, maybe they missed the mark a couple of times. A couple of times they hit some other things. Maybe it was an overreaction for, hey, Superman returns. He didn't punch anything but a rock. Here we got to have him punch everything, no matter what destruction is caused. <laughs> Well, since we're on the subject of it, let's talk for a moment about Superman Returns. Oh, really? For a moment. When did you uh, rape me, Superman? <laughs> I don't remember having a kid ever. I was magically kissed to forget that shit. Uh, uh, okay. One one of the one of the big complaints that a lot of people had with Superman Returns is that it played too it had too much love for the Donner verse, I guess is the best way of putting it. Which is that's what we said in our Smallville. Right. Which is uh, the Donner universe just overlords everything Superman for the next thirty five years. Yeah. Until and, now. And that movie definitely fell into that hole. Um does this one do we think possibly overreact and stray too far into well, the Nolan world worked before with this character. Let's just apply it to this one. Or is it still its own thing? It's very possible that that, and that could become a problem. I like Christopher Nolan's stuff well enough, but man, Warner Brothers DC, they gotta stop relying on this guy. He's not the end-all, be-all. His stuff is just not meant for every one of these characters. It doesn't work for every one of these characters so yeah you want to ground some things a little bit put a little seriousness in it that's fine but one of the main criticisms that i will tend to agree with except especially after seeing it again this this movie needed to lighten up just a little bit it's a bit dour yes. <laughs> i mean there's <laughs> there's about four or five chuckle lines and that's about it everything else is straight down the middle serious as hell and it's it it shouldn't be that way with the character of superman they can treat it in this new modern way lighten up a little bit francis i mean <laughs> it's, just, it's not meant for this oh i was gonna say do we want to for anybody who is not familiar with the basic plot to this movie do we want to give a kind of general summation of what happens in it first do we want to Sure. Go back. Well, and, okay. There's a there's a Superman or Superman as we like to call him, who was on Krypton or Krypton as we like to call it, and his first Robin Hood father sends him <laughs> off of a dying Krypton and sends him to Earth. Well, okay, well, back up and be a little bit serious. Noticing on the second go around that this was actually the big theme that I missed the first time around. And it was the big theme of Russell Crowe's Jor-El wanting to find a way to have his his people coexist with other species and, and human beings to be, you know, more of a beacon of light and hope because Krypton had spent so many decades and millennia um, 
terraforming other planets, just taking over other planets and putting their species as the dominant one and the genetic engineering for people to be what they were programmed to be instead of choosing. So the big theme of this movie I've discovered is it's all about Jor-El wanting Clark, Kal-El, Superman to be that bridge between Kryptonians and human beings to coexist. And it becomes a fight between that and Zod. General Zod is programmed to do nothing but keep the Kryptonians alive, no matter what that means. And that means destruction of Earth. And that really is the main theme of this film. Howdy, folks. My name's Jarrell. I want to take you all back now. <laughs> back to a simpler time. <laughs> So everybody knows the story. It's Superman's a baby sent off to Earth, but instead of seeing this chronologically, we see this Batman Begins style. People who didn't see Batman Begins, all that means is we are cutting back and forth between here's bearded up Superman hobo going to some <laughs> Alaska town working as a fisherman trying to find his way and save somebody and has to leave, and then he flashes back to something in his youth. And then here's Superman Hobo working in a bar and has a problem and saves somebody and has to leave and then has a flashback to something in his youth. And we just go on and on until there he catches wind that the army has found something in Canada stored in the ice, 20,000 years old, a spaceship. So he goes to investigate. He meets Lois Lane. It's a meet-cute in a superhero world where he cauterizes her spleen with his heat vision. So that's a romantic meet-cute right away. Ooh. And then he discovers who he is by interfacing with uh, Russell Crowe, who is this advanced technological AI installed in the computer brain of the ship to teach him about Krypton, who he is. There's suddenly a blue and red Superman suit there, perfectly form-fitted to Clark. For some reason. And I knew one day you would need this. <laughs> and I knew exactly your measurements. <laughs> so he puts on the suit and learns how to fly. Looks like he's having fun. And then General Zod shows up on the ship because the Kryptonian ship Clark had found sent a signal out. And Zod and his people were on a ship that they had been sent away to Krypton, like prison, before it, Krypton blew up. So Zod comes looking for Kal-El because Kal-El has the encoding of all of Kryptonian DNA in his bones because Russell Crowe stuck it in him before he left Krypton. It's the gift that keeps giving, son. So Zod only wants to get that information so he can recreate Krypton on Earth, Earthlings be damned. And Kal-El wants to say, well, Krypton had its time. How about we coexist? And fighting ensues. A and lot of that's fighting. That's the, <laughs> the end of the movie. Is <laughs> fighting ensues, and and uh, Jonathan Kent is also a Robin Hood, so <laughs> we have that going for him. And yes, there's lots and lots of fighting, enormous amounts of destruction, and product placement. Spoiler alert: Superman kills Zod because there's no other choice. He's really angry about it. And then everything lightens up at the end, and yay, we're all going to be good now, because he's got glasses, and he's a reporter, and let's go. And then Man <laughs> of Steel, and we're out, and I'm always skipping over that, because I really want to get to some ideas that I have for how we can hindsight this. Hey! Because I think it can be done, especially with what we've been given, and that is the Superman of 2013. <laughs> All right, well, before we get into the nitty-gritty and starting to pull this thing apart, let's talk about the director of this film, Mr. Zack Schneider. Okay. Um, now, I know that some of the reviews uh, that I've listened to or read, this guy seems to generate a lot of animosity. Um, he's almost as polarizing as this movie that he's created. Well, he generates a lot of animosity because I think he has such a... a unique to him style of filmmaking and it may not necessarily be the stories but it's the filmmaking style that he kind of really hit home with with 300 and that was such a surprise hit 
that it it spawned a lot of imitators. It was almost like it was the next in line for the Matrix. The Matrix in '99 came out, hit so hard that its ty- its style of special effects took over, and everyone tried to copy that wire foo stuff from wire the foo bullet time. Yep. So suddenly Zack Snyder and 300 hits, and now everybody wants to copy that over-stylized comic book panel comes to life speed ramping that really slow motion and then speeds up to a hit and really fast kind of a style that Zack Snyder perfected. And then he did Watchmen, which was meh. (laughs) It was was all right. And then he did an animated owl movie and Sucker Punch. Oh, yeah, I forgot the owl movie. So he really hasn't done a whole lot. And he really hasn't done a whole lot that's great. So I think that's the biggest problem people have is, I I don't know, maybe the internet has such a problem with him just because Watchmen is so revered in the geek internet comic book world that they maybe people feel like he he ruined it for something and which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because i'm i'm the wrong source because i read watchmen and eh, it was okay Mm. i was not enamored with it and so being slavish to a source material that i wasn't enamored with means i probably wasn't gonna be enamored with the movie either and i wasn't all right well uh, i'll spin this in a little bit different direction when we when you walked out of batman begins and you had that last shot and everything, and you get up, walking out of the theater, are you feeling, you're feeling positive about the way that the director, that Christopher Nolan, is taking this story and this franchise, yes? Absolutely. Okay. Did you have that same feeling when you walked out of this movie? Eh, sort of. <laughs> there was a lot left on the table. That's why I was so antsy to say there's some things that should have been done here. Um, it just seemed like it was cool stuff that we needed to see was sacrificed in order to show us more destructions of steel and concrete. So we kind of lose some of the characterization in there? Yeah, and again, I go back to, I wonder if it's almost as simple as somebody saying, everyone's bitching that Superman didn't do anything in Superman Returns. We gotta have more, 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 more destruction. He's gotta blow stuff up. That's what people want. I'm guessing. When I think think Superman, I think blow stuff up. (laughs) I think of severe (laughs) destruction. So, it it was okay. Walking out of it, it was alright. I'd put Batman Begins... The walking out of the theater, Batman Begins, Midnight Show, when I saw that, I'd put that at a at a 10 out of 10 as mm-hmm. far as excitement level for just the last two minutes of that movie. And I'd say this one, I'd give it about a 6 out of 10. Okay. Maybe 7, because it had a cute little ending in the Daily Planet where you're like, okay, we're kind of set up to where we need to be, but they still just... They left too much on the table that could have been done to make it really awesome. And it wasn't, it was very obvious stuff, too. All right, that's fair. Uh, Yeah, I mean, when I walked out of this, obviously, there were certain things that I had issues with. I did not see this as a flawless movie. It did give me some stuff, though, that uh, I did enjoy. One of the things being, and we can debate whether or not too much time was spent there, but uh, some of the stuff that we got into on Krypton. Uh, at the very beginning of the movie. Uh, I like the fact that out of all the film iterations that we've gotten so far of this character, this is the first one that really, I felt, tried to delve into this idea of, hey, this guy is an alien. I think that's where they based their idea from. They said, well, this would be a first contact alien story more than anything, more than a superhero introduction story. And and that makes a lot of sense. And maybe that's just the sci-fi, you know, fan and me coming out, call it what you will. But no, I I did enjoy the fact that we did spend some time uh, really kind of exploring some of that in this. And I'm looking forward to what they might possibly be able to do with it moving ahead um, in the storyline. So I think they did do a nice job of setting some of that up with the movie. 
Um, I'm also going to unabashedly praise the soundtrack. I think it's very, very difficult to walk in the footsteps of John Williams for anything. Um, with Superman Returns, I think they, again, it's not a bad soundtrack, but I just didn't establish really anything very new or memorable. And I feel like we got some really good music out of this film franchise, something that's going to kind of speak for itself and stand on its own. Um, so two things that I really liked from the movie. Uh, I think I'll save my nitpicks for as we're actually going through and talking about some of the other parts. But I did want to get out some some things that I connected with or had to praise here up front. So, so okay. Well, I, I guess I would go in the vein of... See, that's a, it's a tough call for me because I say that I like the film, mm-hmm. but it's kind of tough for me to pull out a little here and there of that's what I really liked. I mean, it's it's kind of were difficult. there were there any scenes where you went ah that's Superman? Uh, I mean, there the the very brief interrogation like scene with Lois Lane towards the the middle that was that was kind of okay. Um, I mean, when he took down Zod a re- first time and said, you know, stay away from my mother, that was kind of cool. Um, I, I, it's tough. I, I don't know why it's so tough for me because I generally like the film. I, I'd say my favorite sequence of the movie would probably be when Clark is first finding his way through the 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 spaceship they found in the ice before he saves Lois and before he cauterizes her appendix from bursting. He, uh, what a nice guy. You know, he just, he discovers his, his roots and his conversation with Russell Crowe, which, you know, and, and discussions of where he came from and then his putting on the suit and testing his limits and flying those kind of things I, I thought were pretty well done. Yeah, I really did like the the way that they handled the flying sequences in this because it gave you more of a sense of, I don't know, reality. That, yeah, if this guy's so powerful that he can take off and go, you know, how many hundred miles an hour around the globe at, you know, the drop of a hat kind of thing, that, yeah, you would have kind of a physical repercussion of that if you were standing on the ground nearby. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely yeah just very simple but very effective but he could added but, some scope to it but but i do jump into a nitpick on that level of man keep your camera still please <laughs> too and much shaky cam <laughs> it's not just that it's it's michael bay like cut 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 and it's there were a lot of quick cuts yes, and I it's agree. camera moving while he's moving and then he's moving this way and flying and then the camera's moving that way and now the camera's going to do a zoom in far off in the distances no can't you just do like one or two shots of just put the camera on a dolly track and follow with him or something i mean there was no very real clear image of him flying it was all just blur 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 and there was there was a lot of action that was yeah primarily blur and that makes me wonder i wonder if christopher nolan did have something to do with this because that was the big complaint in batman begins is you didn't see batman in clear shot do anything it was all just quick cuts and flash of a hand here and there's a bit of a cowl there and you didn't have any of the visceral thrill of there's Batman fighting. It's I think something's going on. I can't really tell. It was very similar to that. It's I think he's flying, maybe, but I can't tell. But again, that's a nitpick, and for some reason, I'm having more nitpicks on a movie that I said I liked, <laughs> and I don't know why. You can you can you can pull it apart, and who knows? I mean, that's why we're here talking about it. All right. So what would we do then? Because all right. Well, let's let's begin the beginning here. All right, so we're on Krypton and everything. Um, how you know, out of the characters we meet there, the world that we're at, the events that we kind of experienced there. What, what did, what was your takeaway, good or bad? I thought it was interesting, but I thought it could have been its own movie. 
I mean, it, it could have just been the Krypton story, or it could have been a DVD extra, like Marvel does with their little one-shots where they make like this 15-minute side movie for the Blu-ray. They could have just done a Krypton story, shot it for the Blu-ray or an iTunes extra or something, and made the rest of the Krypton stuff something that Jarrell could talk about in flashback later. Because he does. He does a Kryptonian flashback. You might as well just add another 30 seconds to that, and that saves you the first 20 minutes of the movie at the beginning. Which, mm. again, it goes to that new theme that I realize now of jor wanting the coexist and Krypton to go on, but in a better way than Domination versus General Zod wanting Krypton to go on no matter what. But you can still find a way to more economically express that idea and story than 20 minutes of sci-fi jor dragon riding, <laughs> kung fu fighting with Zod, council craziness, volcanoes blowing up, and baby Clark boy wiener as he gets on, <laughs> gets on the penis ship to fly away. You could have avoided some of that stuff and, and really trimmed it down. Well, it's interesting that we said, you know, we keep comparing it to Batman Begins, but it's a somewhat similar setup in the fact that we spend a bunch of time up there in the mountains with uh, Bruce Wayne getting trained by the League of Shadows and all of that, and that didn't drag. Uh, we found out a lot about his character, his motivations, what he was aspiring to or searching for. All of that uh, kind of became clear. I wonder if, and again, by the nature of the story, it's impossible to do this, but I wonder if part of the reason it didn't seem to work quite as well here was because we were following a character who ultimately is going to be ancillary. It's not the main character necessarily. I think that's it. Is You start the movie and it's Jarrell's story. Mm-hmm. And that it's almost like this has been a problem for the Superman character in every iteration is that it is a father son struggle story. And maybe it shouldn't be, but if it's gone on this long, then maybe there's something to it. But I hate to say it of all the iterations of Superman, the one that I think I gravitated to the most not in execution, but in just the story idea. If you flattened the playing field, every iteration of Superman, and took out poor special effects and acting and cheesiness and just said, here's the basic story they're working off of for this character, I gravitate more to the Lois and Clark form mm. because it's about that character, his personal struggle, and the interpersonal relationship with Lois Lane. Whereas every other iteration is, my father is causing me problems, and then I've got to learn how to deal with my adopted father who then dies of a heart attack or tornado whipping. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> and, and it's all about, my father, Marlon Brando, you bring me down. And this movie is nothing different. It's Jarrell wants him to be this, and Jarrell says you need to be better, and Kevin Costner says no, you need to wait. You're not ready, and I'm gonna go get sucked up in a tornado for you <laughs> to survive. And no, no, don't try to save me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go ahead, I'll be all right. <laughs> oh, he's a martyr. <laughs> he's yeah, a martyr. martyr. <laughs> <laughs> but it is Jarrell's story, and it shouldn't be. This should be. Kal-El's story and Jarrell should be a support and it seems like we start every one of these iterations with here's what Jarrell's doing and here's what Jarrell wants for his son to do and I guess in both Donner's film and this yeah the presence or direction of Jarrell just looms very very large and it wasn't until in the Donner verse at least until the second film that he really kind of broke out and started establishing himself fully but if you go to the Donner version of Superman 2 it's oh yeah it's yeah nothing he's but still a continuation there of <laughs> that's true the whole forgot. point is it's he's fighting the father now he's going to break away from the father and Again, that's why I gravitate to the base level story of Lois and Clark because, my God, it's not until the beginning of season two that he hears Jarrell's voice and it's just simply, huh, 
So that's where I come from. Okay. Well, I'm going to get back to my life now. So thanks. So, thanks so that's a thing. <laughs> thanks, real father. I learned that now. It's not, oh my God, I've got to live up to his ideal. No, it's just a, oh, well, this is really interesting. That's where I come from. Neat. Well, you see, he's got his own ghost dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Lord. Bill Cosby should have been Jor-El. That would have been, that would have been entertaining. You come from the planet Krypton, place with the dragons with the and the core, crystals and stuff. The core is made of jello. <laughs> Here, have a pudding pop. And his highly multicolored sweater is the symbol of hope. <laughs> Superman's cape is made out of Cliff Huxtable's sweaters. That is awful. Awful. Ooh. Great. <laughs> All right. So anyway. It just would add a whole new dynamic when that door opens on the Genesis ship if that was what was in there. Beeble bobble boop. <laughs> Let me teach you something about stories. Anyway. Okay, so Jor-El sends him off to Earth, but Krypton, we have to deal with all of the sci-fi stuff, and you're a bigger sci-fi fan than me. Mm. I I honestly, the whole Krypton stuff we got, I could take it or leave it. It was fine, it was entertaining enough, but it did seem like it went on. Well, it's, weir it's weird because at, at one time, I want to say it felt rushed, like you wanted to spend more time there, but like you said, we have to get on with the rest of the story. Um, but at the same time, it feels like it does kind of drag at points. Uh, the little battle, Zod's battle and all of that, again, okay, we got to establish this character. We have to establish uh, the conflict that's going on that's tearing the society apart and all of that. I understand that, but it didn't really add anything. I mean, it was a lot of spectacle and noise, but... I still think that no matter how hard they say we are breaking away from the Donner universe, there's a lot in this movie that is in the same vein of 1978 Superman. They're opening up on Krypton. He's going to the council. He's having his problem. They're putting Zod in the Phantom Zone. Zod has a woman with a short Dorothy Hamill cut and a big burly <laughs> mutant guy to fight for him. Uh, they take down a helicopter in a small country town. I mean, the only thing they're missing was J.W. Pepper in the car going, oh, they geez. have a wide selection. Yeah, we can leave him alone. <laughs> we can leave him behind. But it was, yeah, I mean, as I think about it now, there's a lot of... It's almost like that template that Richard Donner and Tom Magnowitz came up with is the template that everyone has to live off of no matter what you do with this story. You got to start on Krypton. <laughs> Jarrell's got to talk to the council. You got to send the ship off. You got to see Boy Wiener. And it's all going to go off until he lands on a farm. And, and well, mom dies as an afterthought. Okay. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And mom is an afterthought. Absolutely. But I don't know. I, I could take or leave the beginning Krypton stuff. It didn't really matter much to me. It could have been very easily done in flashback. Yeah, I agree. You you could have paced it differently and put that stuff in there, and I don't think you would have lost anything. I mean, again, you got a lot of spectacle. You got some neat kind of world building and that type of thing, but is it ultimately totally necessary? No. You can cut it down. Yeah, and I think they could have done more of cutting Krypton stuff down and maybe it's because of what we just talked about on the television show, but I would have liked to have seen more stuff in Smallville, more stuff with his, with, with Costner and Diane Lane than we got. I mean, for all the pub that Kevin Costner got before this is like, oh, he's the best part of the movie, or some people were saying that. Ooh. He's barely <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> he's hardly in it at all. I mean, there's a couple moments that are really good, but he's barely in it. And the, that whole section is told in flashback. Yeah, and even if it was kept in flashback, I would have actually liked to have seen more of that. It, it could have worked better had they done more with him growing up in Smallville. It would have, 
it would have lent more weight to the battle sequence in Smallville later on if he had we had seen more of Clark as a youth being there. So that if we're not going to add anything in, since the big complaint is Superman really saves one guy falling from a helicopter and asks, are you all right? And the rest of the time, it's just punch, punch, smash, smash, smash. Who gives a damn about these people? Just going to kill you. And, and it kind of goes into Hulk mode there. <laughs> yeah. It could have added more weight had we seen more time with him in Smallville, maybe put him in a location as a kid have the tornado happen in that town square or whatever oh, so when okay. he's there again later on fighting he you have some sort of image from him being there and now he's there as superman all right talking about stuff that you could cut i'm sorry this whole tornado scene just does not work it doesn't work because of how jonathan goes it would have worked had Jonathan done the typical Jonathan Kent thing of dying of a heart attack. Yeah. That, dying that of would've... natural causes, because that's the whole point of the Jonathan Kent <laughs> dying part, is it's to teach Clark that no matter how many powers he has, there are some things he can't control. Instead of, I have the power to control this, I just choose not to use it. Son, I'm just going to take this tornado for you. <laughs> yep, it's just fine. holds up his hand. I got this. I, I got, got this tornado. <laughs> it's cool. Me and this tornado are going to have it out. I got it. We're good. I mean, even if he saved him and then the guy ends up dying of a heart attack or something like that from living through the experience, I mean, something. Or keep the tornado sequence, have more people on the highway involved, have Clark going and helping people out of the cars, Jonathan reminding him, don't do it. Don't show those powers. Don't do it, man. He <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a stoner. In <laughs> some way, whatever. Hey, man, just don't turn, do it. Just turn him into Jim Garrison. <laughs> just have him talk. Anyway, but have Clark save people. Have Jonathan helping people. Have Martha and the dog go into the overpass, so we don't have to worry about that issue, because you cannot kill or harm a dog in a movie, and instead they have Kevin Costner letting the dog out the door in the middle of a tornado that 10 seconds later is going <laughs> to suck up Kevin Costner. I don't think the dog's going to get away from that. So have Diane Lane and the dog running for the overpass. Have Clark helping one person and Jonathan helping the other. And Clark says, I can get them all, Dad. And he says, you're not ready, son. We'll get them together. But then Jonathan has a heart attack or something. So Clark can save these people, but learn the lesson. He still saves people, but he can't save everybody. Everyone, yes. That's, that's learn the fine. lesson that way. Have Jonathan get a heart attack in the middle of the hurricane or the tornado. And Clark has a baby and two people in his arms that he's hauling off. And he has to choose to get them to the overpass and let his dad die or let them all die. So make a choice like that. I don't know. Do something heroic. Exactly. Come on, you're <laughs> Superman. Do something. <laughs> so th that, that could be a way of doing it is make that choice of his dad's sacrifice more important crucial than just nope 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 you just stay there i'll just martyr i'll just go up in the tornado just so you can stay there and stare at me when you could save me easily who's my favorite alien you're my favorite <laughs> alien <laughs> so we got that one out of the way the tornado scene now fixed okay i'm gonna go into another area of nitpick here that i know that you have lois lane Let's talk about Lois Lane. Well, as far as the actress, let's, let's start. Let's start with the good. <laughs> okay, the good, uh, the right characterization. She is actually has brains, has logic brains. In that, we don't have to deal with this whole idiocy of there's a guy across the desk from me who's wearing glasses. 
there's a guy who just flew with me out into the stratosphere who doesn't have glasses. <laughs> They're not the same guy. But I'm a smart, whip-smart reporter, you betcha. No, she's a whip-smart reporter who does reporting and easily discovers who this guy is, which makes me wonder. Say, we... That makes me wonder, is it really this easy to figure out who this guy is? <laughs> That's not much of a secret identity. I was going to say, were you satisfied with the little, I don't know, investigation that she went off on? It was like a lot of things in this movie. It was very truncated. Mm -hmm. This movie tried to pack in so much shit that it went to its own detriment. It could have kept the same storylines it had, just expanded if it had you know, trimmed off some of the unnecessary fat. So, yeah, her little Smash investigating... Building thing was smashing? Nice. Is that what we're... Yeah, her little investigating thing was nice, but find a way... I mean, Nolan did it... Somehow he managed to pull off the correct passages of time with his bits in Batman Begins. You gotta wonder, there might have been a better way to show a passage of time, because as you watch the movie now, her little investigation to find out who he is looks like it takes about a day and a half of okay so you worked with this guy okay you worked with him uh mrs kent i'm lois lane i just met your son four hours ago he's superman <laughs> isn't he hey yeah, who's superman your son got him okay all right let's move on to the next bit now he's an alien isn't he yeah all right they now i'm going to solve the world's problem with nuclear fission <laughs> <laughs> nuclear <laughs> it's the correct way to say it is nuclear nuclear <laughs> um yeah but she had brains she was ballsy and as far as the actress i i have liked amy adams and things but in this movie there was just something that made me think they could have cast they could have done one more round of casting to maybe find somebody who has a little bit of extra spark with henry cavill because henry cavill i think he was fine yeah, was I, good. I think he works but there was just something that wasn't clicking with the chemistry between the two that made me think, oh, these two, these are meant for each otherness people. It was more of like, okay, well, she's a reporter and she's there and he's there. So I guess they're kissing now. Why not? Yeah, I have two nitpicks and you just mentioned one of them and that would be the chemistry because, yeah, just like you, I didn't really feel it. Uh, the other is Lois's uncanny ability to end up wherever she needs to be at the exact moment she needs to be there. She can fall out of all kinds of things, spaceships, uh, planes, whatever, and she will always get caught in time. Well, that's the Lois Lane history, though. Yeah, sure. He's always there to save her. That's fine, but yeah. <laughs> so you're across town, you see a meteor shower. So you're at the equivalent of the north end of Manhattan. And he lands in the southern tip of Manhattan, and you're going to get there in approximately 90 seconds without super speed. Wow, you are an investigative reporting <laughs> genius. You found a way, you found the secret pneumatic tube underneath the streets of Metropolis. She, she uses a stonecutter uh, <laughs> <laughs> method of getting around town. Uh... Yeah, that was a problem. But overall, okay. She was okay, but not grand and great. I was not overwhelmed by the not Lois Lane not character. real memorable. Yeah. Hopefully, they can fix that in the next one. Maybe with some screen with a good script, maybe it can work in the next one. Who knows? We'll find uh, out. Speaking of the script, another bit of criticism that I've heard lobbed at this film was the idea that a lot of the dialogue is kind of clunky. Yeah, there is some of that. I mean, especially with Lois Lane. I mean, for crying out loud, her first scene with Perry White, she has to, uh, uh, for some reason, remind him that in full sentence, I'm a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter, Perry. I think he'd know that. I don't <laughs> think you have to say that whole sentence. I think that day he may have forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention, I have my own little just 
personal idiosyncrasies with certain actors and actresses and the way they pronunciate things that just grates on me. And there was about three or four times in this movie where Amy Adams has certain pronunciations of things that are just trigger something in my deep limbic system that causes spasms and I don't understand. And I don't think I could explain like her saying the word Pentagon. It's just, yeah. Okay. Anyway, it's like the, it's like the Christian Bale eye mole. Now you're never going to be able to not see it when she says the word Pentagon. <laughs> All right. So anyway, that was Lois Lane. Okay. Uh, did we get a good enough sense of these people who are at the Daily Planet to care when push comes to shove towards the end of the movie as to what really happens to them? Or is that, are they trying to, again, cram in too much, too little, too late? Or I think that's the main problem. This movie really could have benefited from being more like the M. Night Shyamalan Unbreakable. It could have benefited from just being a intro hero story with just introducing who he is. And then the second movie could have been Zod. And the third movie could have been the cleanup and Justice League coming together or something. They just try to cram everything in and it almost would have benefited from pulling back, making a nice two hour. This alien arrives. Who is he? And he's trying to discover himself. It didn't need to be a grand epic opus showing everything, but skimming over. We're showing you everything, but we're showing you half of each scene, which would make it much, much better. And what what was your take on Zod in this film? I, I liked Michael Shannon's bit, and I liked the character, but I think he could have done better had he just been the sole focus of a movie, mm. where it's Superman versus Zod. Like, just, if they're, hell, if they're going to be this slavish to the Donner formula, then just make that Superman, Man of Steel 2 is Superman versus Zod. But, you know, what did you think of Michael Shannon's role? Uh, he was fine. I was more confused, quite honestly, by some of the stuff that Superman was doing in this movie. Uh, for instance, when Zod is overwhelmed by all of the sensory input that he gets once he's in Earth's atmosphere and everything, and Superman's just like, well, let me explain how you overcome that right now, because I've just gone through all this trouble to you know, pummel the crap out of you. And, and he's not even and you finally And you finally stopped. We finally found a way to stop you because you're sensory, you know, on sensory overload. But here's how you control that so we can keep fighting. Yeah, um, it's yeah. not even the be. It's not even before he learns Zod is going to be a bad guy. Right. It would have worked at it. Like, well, I don't know who this General Zod is, but he's Kryptonian, so... I'll be nice to him because I'm just a nice guy. No, he's, I've already started fighting. Zod's already said, your world's fucked. And then he says, well, well here's how you deal still, with Here's how you <laughs> deal with your problems, Zod, because I'm just that nice. Especially the megalomaniacal assholes. I'm super nice to them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was confused by that. I understand him having this inner struggle and the whole father-son conundrum and all of that, but whenever we would go into the flashbacks with his father, it, with, well, um, Kevin Costner, uh, whenever... With, uh, he, with, with Robin Hood number one. Yes, Robin Hood number one with the Prince of Thieves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go to the Prince of Thieves, not the Robin Hood Australia. Yeah. He... I kept waiting for him to kind of, and we got a little bit of it with him breaking away and trying to establish his own ideas and things like that right before the tornado scene. But I really wish we would have had more of that kind of tension built up with him really questioning whether or not this path that his father kept trying to lay out for him was the one that he really wanted to take. Did he always want to be hiding that type of thing? So again, I was a little bit kind of confused along those lines. Uh, a lot has been made of the collateral damage in this film and the numerous number of people who were killed both in Smallville and Metropolis and wherever that thing was on the other side of the globe 
uh, in the Indian Ocean when we were in the terraforming sequence and all of that, and it was just completely glossed over. A lot has also been made of the fact that Superman, spoiler alert, kills Zod by breaking his neck uh, late in the film. I got to be honest, when I was seeing what was going on with them trying to put the Kryptonians back in the Phantom Zone and everything like that, I really thought, especially since you had all the characters up there in ships and everything, that Zod was somehow going to get tossed in there, tossed in the pit, all of Paradise Lost um, with the rest of his followers, and, you know, hey, we've got this character, he's put away, we can bring him back when we want him, that type of thing. So I was, you know, I think with a fair amount of the audience kind of surprised with the direction that they went in with it. Um, I had a bigger problem with that last fight between Clark and Zod because it just kept going. It was a fight way too far for me at that point where it's like, again, they're smashing into buildings again. That was the sequence that just said, okay, you can stop now. Yeah. This is unnecessary. You just keep going. Now you just keep going just because Apparently you have a personal vendetta against like welders and and <laughs> masonry that you just I just hate this wall so much <laughs> that you want to take everything down instead of eh, use some brevity and just make that fight about thirty seconds. Here's where they should have taken a cue from Smallville and had the Zod Clark fight emulate the. Dark or the uh, the uh, Doomsday Clark fight in Smallville that we talked about it should just be about twenty five <laughs> seconds of him throwing Zod into the ground and then telling Lois later, yeah, I buried him under the ground deep. He's not coming back for a while. <laughs> so let's move on to the next one. Or you know we've already established in these other movies uh, from back in the eighties and stuff like that. Well, where do you go to fight when you don't want humans in danger? You go to the moon. The ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate fighting platform for superheroes. Why not? Why not? Just go back. The thing that would have made all of the destruction and the fighting worthwhile, and they could have done it just as long as they did, is a few moments of either people in the streets of Metropolis, Clark in the streets of Metropolis, or a moment of Superman stopping and saying, know the people like he did in Superman 2, or a moment of seeing him try to take the fight out of the city. And or even try to save some people who are there. <laughs> yeah, anything that would have shown that he cared about what was going on, and Zod figuring out that he cares about what's going on and using that to his advantage because he doesn't care what, what's all about the destruction. He just wants to kill Kal-El. Any little moment thrown in there and they could have kept all of the destruction that they did the same amount that they did if we gave a shit about what they were destroying <laughs> and it wasn't just, there's another building going down. Oh, they just blew into a more office built who cares <laughs> <They> just, <laughs> nobody gives a shit how much destruction we're seeing they just want to care about the people who are being destroyed destruction porn that's all we got and there was a good moment that was wasted again that i will put a hindsight on of before the last zod fight and clark and lois float to the ground and they have their first kiss and Perry White and Jenny Olsen and Steve, whatever his name is, um, come out into this open pit of nothing rubbleness that has suddenly appeared in the middle of a major city. And who knows how many dead bodies they're standing on top of in the ash. That's like having a celebratory kiss on Ground Zero and 9-11. <laughs> it's just standing on top of the World Trade Center. Oh, thank God, let's make out. But... You could have had more people filter out because what happens is is you've got Clark and Lois or Superman and Lois in the middle of this emptiness having their moment and Jenny and Perry and this other guy step out and they're like, Oh, he saved us and they kind of climb out from the rubble and look at him. You could have had 
all in this big circle around them, people coming out and looking at them or stepping out from the rubble and looking at this guy and, and realizing, did he save us or did he do this or something? So that when Zod lands in that open gravel pit or whatever, there could have been hundreds of people in a circle around him looking on and seeing that Superman is there to fight for them or showing that connection with humanity, anything or Zod lands and Clark and Zod staring at him and says, I'm going to take you down. You've taken my soul away because you took all of Krypton away that I was trying to save. So I'm going to destroy you have Superman do a slow glance, furtive glances to his left and right, seeing people coming out of the rubble and staring at him like, we need you to, to save us, you son of a bitch. Please help us. And he starts feeling the burden of his responsibility of, I need to save these people. I need to get this guy out of here now. Suddenly, the fight with Zod takes on more meaning because we know what the hell Superman's fighting for, not just, oh. It's Zod. Well, I'm taking you down, buddy. And then they start fighting. <laughs> so there's my hindsight of that. Throw some more people into that mix besides just the three Daily Planet people who happen to be there in the rubble looking at them. And I'm I'm going to go another step further with trying to get something more out of this fight. Obviously, they had their own ideas where they wanted to go with the sequel for this thing. You don't have to remain slavish to that Batman Begins formula, but they did an excellent job at the end of that movie with hooking the audience into the next one with introducing the idea of the Joker. As close as we get to Lex Luthor is some boxes and a construction crane at one of the buildings that he kind of blows up that says LexCorp on yeah, it. Yeah, and the truck or whatever that says yeah. LexCorp. Yeah, that, my idea for the ending sequence, because spoiler alert, the ending sequence of this film is a complete 180 tonal shift from what had just happened 30 seconds prior when Clark, or when Superman snaps Zod's neck and cries out in pain and anguish at the fact that he just killed this guy and Lois Lane magically appears at the train station he's at to hug him. And suddenly we go into jokey little militaries following you, Superman, and I'm not going to let you follow me. And then talking to his mom at the gravesite of Jonathan Kent and say, and him saying, well, I wish dad were here to see me do this. And, oh, he saw it, Clark, because even the dead in heaven could hear all the destruction you caused. <laughs> it was so much so that you woke the dead with your destruction. Why don't you uh, tone it down a little bit, buddy, before you go back out there in your cape? Simmer down, Superman. Simba. And then there's jokey scenes in the Daily Planet where the Steve Lombard, I think his name is, is hey, Lois, I got tickets, courtside tickets to the game. Why don't you, why don't you come? And, oh, no, why don't you troll the intern pool? And Jenny Olsen's there like, oh, no, I don't like you at all. You're a gross guy and, and whatnot. And then Clark shows up there and gets a job at the Daily Planet. And, hi, Lois, I'm Clark Kent. Welcome to the planet, Clark. <laughs> Man of Steel, out. No. What you could do there is make some mention of the destruction. They're a newspaper. They would be talking about rebuilding Metropolis. For crying out loud, 9-11 happened, and we're still talking about it 12 years later. We're still talking about it. The newspaper would be doing a story on there's all sorts of government bids now to rebuild the city, and who's going to do it? And just like the Joker card turning over from Commissioner Gordon to Batman, there's two estimates in for rebuilding the city. LexCorp and Wayne Enterprises. And make some sort of mention of that. And then Clark Kent shows up. and Or, or Perry White says, okay, well, Clark, you're new here. So uh, why don't you help Lois out? Lois, why don't you go interview Luther and find out what he's planning on doing? And Clark, if you want your first uh, gig here at the Daily Planet, 
maybe you should uh, interview this Bruce Wayne guy and see what he's planning on doing for rebuilding Metropolis. Boom, man of steel. <laughs> and that would be the crowd leaving on a high like they did with the Joker card. And I think with the way that this movie, with the events as they play out and everything like that, I think you would give the Lex character a nice launching point because you would have people who were angry or their lives have been affected, you know, from the outcome of these fights and the fact that so many people had been, you know, killed as a result of them and that type of thing. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it would give it some interesting directions, but yeah, we there's some boxes and construction equipment. And he has cool. ground to stand on. Yeah. He, he has ground to stand on in the Lex Luthor character because he hates Superman so much. Now he has supporters because all he has to do is go out and say, did you see what this alien <laughs> caused? He's not one of us. He's evil. And so you have some people who are like, no, he saved us. And some people are like, no, Lex Luthor's right. It works. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, built-in conflict. But that's kind of what they set up, so we're not really hindsighting anything there because they may, very well may do that in part two. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But I think that's a good point for where we could uh, do our pitch because suddenly, as I was saying, I'm taking this out of context now because suddenly as I was saying that, I was starting to get that little fanboy giddiness that I had when the Joker card flipped over when I thought that would be a killer fucking ending. As Perry White comes in and says, all right, well, I'm going to team you guys up. Lois, this is Clark Kent. He's new here. Why don't you teach him the ropes? Lois, why don't you interview Luther? And Kent, why don't you call this Wayne guy and find out what he's planning on doing? That oh, Mr. Wayne. That would be that would be a fucking killer ending right there. That would be just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I think I'm ready to get into the pitch. And now it's time to pitch our idea for how to fix this film. In our version of Man of Steel, we open on scruffy hobo Clark saving an oil rig that is in disaster, but the scene can go on for twice as long and be really cool, showing off a lot of Clark's powers and setting up the mystery of who this guy is. Then, throughout flashbacks, we can see him growing up in Smallville, learning the lessons from Jonathan Kent, and then when he meets Jor-El later on, that's where we get all of the history of Krypton. And then, while on the ship, Jor-El can set a switch showing that the Superman suit is being made for Clark, or he can say it is the general diplomatic suit that was meant to be worn by the inhabitants of that ship from 20,000 years ago, and that Clark can wear it as Kal-El, a diplomat of sorts from Krypton. Then he can be Superman, he can go out and save people, and then we can maybe end on Zod showing up, does not need to be nearly as long, maybe the last 40 minutes is Zod, not the last hour and a half, there can be some destruction, just like there was, but at the end of it, make mention of the destruction and then have our geek out ending of mentioning Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor and be done. What are you going to do when you're not saving the world? Have you given any thought to that? I have actually. <laughs> I gotta find a job where I can keep my ear to the ground. Where people won't look twice. When I want to go somewhere dangerous, start asking questions. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. He sacrifices himself and he says Superman oh, because man. it's an ideal it's something to be that's why in the 50s they say look up in the sky because he's above us look up in the sky in this movie is look up in the sky and get the fuck out of the way because you're going to be killed yeah. they're <laughs> going to kill you they're coming for you it's death from above in this movie opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts 
and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. This is, if you look at the Superman movies as songs or bands or whatever, eras of bands, Dick Donner, Superman, I think we can all agree, Beatles song. Yes. Classic. Like, you play it then, works, play it now, still fucking works. It's missing, you know, the earmarks of what would make it current. But it's still classic, timeless. Brilliantly crafted, just fun to listen to, but also has some meaning under it. It's, it's well done. It's, it's, it's the best pop music has to offer. Superman Returns would be uh, not a Cure song, but a Cure cover band yes. song. Right. Very, very emo, very mopey. Um, not so much like, I'm going to fucking kick your ass and save humanity as much as like, I've got to move an island. You know? <laughs> You know, very angsty. My girlfriend doesn't love me anymore. She wrote a big piece in the planet. But it's my fault because I left didn't when say I goodbye. did. <laughs> she left a note, knocked her up and left. This version to me, obviously we differ. I would say this version to me is more like a Metallica song. It's just like, man, 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 relentless, relentless, in your face. Jor-El is a badass ass kicker, man, 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 little baby into space. Put him into space and watch him go to Earth. Man, 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 baby, baby on a boat, saving dudes on a boil of, you know, just very, it's relentless. When the movie begins. How many two and a half hour Metallica songs are there? It depends which album, man. Okay, but, Man, I never want to go to a farm again. Yeah. Farms are bad places. Apparently farmers on Krypton were not considered <laughs> no a, way a, down a, a worthy profession. It was like they're fucking glory holers and bathrooms. <laughs> Random strangers will suck your fucking space dick. And under that, farmers. Yeah. What are you, boy? He's like, well. Uh, I guess my farmer. Yeah, yeah. I was raised on Kansas.